Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. and welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Jen, your host today, and I'm here with the fantastic author, or should I say co-author, of a book that just consumed my whole weekend in the best way possible. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Uh, Yes, hello. My name is Preston Fossil, and I am the co-author, along with Chris Grasso, of Necessary Death, What Horror Movies Can Teach Us About Navigating the Human Experience. This book is just, it is such a wealth of information, both about some of my favorite movies and some of like the very real and pragmatic lessons, you know, that they kind of have for us sort of in this like journey of life. So I'm really curious, like, where did this book come from? Um, How did you meet Chris and, and where did, what was the inception point for this idea? So this is really Chris's brainchild. This is his baby. He had had this idea for years about a book that would look at the intersection of horror movies and mental health and well-being and spirituality. And he is an experienced uh, author himself in uh, self-help and psychology books, but he had never done anything quite like this before and that dealt with the intersection of film and well-being. And he wasn't quite sure about how to approach something like this that uh, was this kind of multimedia effort. And uh, both Chris and I wrote for Fangoria magazine for a couple of years. And during that period, they had a... um, a publishing imprint called Fangoria Presents. And I had my debut novel published through that imprint. It was called Our Lady of the Inferno. And Chris read the book and then he reached out to me and he said, I really love this. And he said, you know, I was hoping for this kind of cool, gnarly, retro 80s throwback horror, but he said, I didn't really anticipate this book being as psychologically deep or as invested in its characters or as like spiritually in tune as it was. And he said, it really surprised me that here's a book that is a story about a girl who realizes that her friends are being preyed upon by a female serial killer in 1980s New York. And it's really, really concerned with the inner lives of all the characters. And he said, I think that you are the person to help me with this project that I've had in my mind for a couple of years. And so he and I got on the phone and we talked about it and I was really excited about it because uh, my, my my own background is that I actually went to college to be uh, a, get, get into uh, psychology. Uh, I was part of this generation that grew up on Silence of the Lambs and CSI. And we were all sure that we were going to grow up to be Clarice Starling and go catch serial killers And I got a bachelor's in psychology from Sam Houston State University and was planning to go into their master's program. And I just burned out on it. And I realized, hey, you know, you've you've always really wanted to be a writer. Part of this was thinking that this was going to be a stopgap for you and that you could like, you know, catch serial killers by day, be a novelist by night. And uh, I realized, you know, maybe maybe it's better to just write about serial killers than actually spend day in, day out around them and studying them. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, I went to school for four years and got into debt for this degree. Maybe I should actually use it for once. And so Chris and I started working on it. This was back in uh, 2019. And then COVID kind of threw everything off the rails for a while. 
and then things got back on track and here we are now. Wow. That's such a lovely uh, origin story that it just, it's just sort of like this, this email about a book and a connection over like this shared interest. That's so lovely. So it was his first novel. You have written novels before. Was this your first full length um, nonfiction or did this was a similarly sort of new direction for you or had you done things like this before? So this is going to be Chris's fourth nonfiction book, and it's going to be my second. Uh, I've previously written a biography. Uh, My COVID projects, one of my COVID projects was uh, researching the life of a guy named Bill Landis. Uh, Back in the 1980s, uh, Bill Landis founded a magazine based out of Times Square called Sleazewood Express, and it covered the underground horror and exploitation movies that played in all of the Times Square movie theaters. And he wrote a book also called Sleazewood Express that I read when I was either 17 or 18. And I went to middle and high school in a place called Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And whatever image went through your mind when I said that is probably correct. Uh, (laughs) I, I literally got driven through a cow pasture by my parents on the way to school every day. And to read about... Times Square in the 1980s and all of the subcultures and the art scene and the movie theaters there just blew my mind. I never imagined that a time or a place like that could or did exist. And it set me down the road to writing about the stuff I write about now. Uh, Like I mentioned a moment ago, my, my first book is set in 1980s Times Square in New York. And uh, Bill Landis, unfortunately, passed away relatively young and had a very unfortunate final few years of his life. And so I set about during COVID tracking down old friends of his, uh, people who were around in the 1980s and the art scene that knew him in New York, uh, people that he had worked with and assembling the story of his life and telling the story of Bill Landis and Sleazewood Express so that his legacy could survive and endure. And so that was my first nonfiction book. But of course, this is a completely different beast from that. I think that's a really lovely story Um, because I think a similarity here is that sort of um, um, paying tribute to the love of horror and sort of like, I think the role, this very serious role that it could play in people's lives. That's something that you both talk about a lot here that people, you know, can tend to see it as sort of like a purient interest or sort of like a, maybe a, uh, you know, a slightly disreputable hobby, but like people like you and like me and, and like Chris, like can see it as like a really actually healthful practice, you know? So could you talk a little bit about, um, maybe where the structure comes because you split up the writing in a really interesting way. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, horror is outsider art for outsiders. And I think that a lot of people who feel a connection with horror feel that because they see themselves as being outside of some societal or structural norm. And that's really beautiful to me because there are people who always feel that way. There are people who are parts of subcultures and demographics who are actually outside of what is considered to be normative, what is considered to be the the baseline. But then I think that everybody, regardless of who you are, regardless of what group you belong to, regardless of where you are in the socioeconomic strata, regardless of race, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, everybody has those moments in their lives where they feel like they are an outsider or they don't belong in some way. And so regardless of whether that is your 
everyday existence or whether that's how you feel in a particular period of your life, you can feel that connection with a horror movie through that idea of I don't belong. Uh, for the structure of the chapters, it just made sense to us. Uh, Chris is much more experienced in counseling and in spiritual sp spirituality, spiritual study. Uh, he has a deep interest and experience with Eastern mysticism and different uh, uh, counseling ideas of health and well-being. And then I have a background in film study and in film journalism and then more... Uh, for lack of a better word, like concrete psychology. And so the felt the best way to split everything up was that I would take a look at each of these films and do this sort of introductory essay that would look at themes in each movie and how they related to two different psychological ideas and explore more academic psychological aspects. And then Chris would look at how you could put those things into practice. And uh, it was really fun. The way that we did it was that I would write the first half of the chapter. Uh, we had decided on what the movies were going to be. We had decided on what the broad theme would be with each of the movies that we discussed. And then I would write that first half and then submit it to Chris. And then Chris would read over what I had done and then take that and expand upon it with how you can put these ideas into practice with different things like mindfulness mindfulness meditation or with like uh, personality inventories and different things like that it's a really lovely structure and i think um what i love about what both of you do is that you manage to kind of cover like your beat as it were i'm kind of thinking of it like journalistic beats but you also give a little bit of like your subjective experience of the film too so it's clear that all of these films were like important to both of you in some ways so was that um yeah what was the fact that the the process of choosing the movies like did you have to agree on everyone together or did you both bring your favorites to the table like what did that look like so that actually also involved some consideration of uh, of broad appeal, uh, because both Chris and I really love all the movies we chose for this. But then me especially, uh, I mentioned before that I've written for Fangoria, I've written for uh, Rumori Magazine, I've done a lot of nonfiction horror journalism. And because I was so inspired by Bill Landis and Sleazewood Express, the horror movies that I tend to be interested in tend to be relatively obscure and a lot of times they're movies that aren't really readily commercially available in america i've uh, i've got a region free player back in the day i uh, had a hookup that could convert uh and ntsc vhs's to pal and like change all these formats and so like in, in a perfect world for me i would have been like hey 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 chris there there's this movie and it, it's called goodbye gemini and it, it ran for one week in piccadilly circus in england before they banned it and me and 25 other people have seen it and I, I want to put it in this book and yeah that's a fun idea but also in terms of trying to appeal to as broad an audience as possible uh because you know we, we we want this to touch people we want this to be something that helps people we want this to be something that somebody can pick up and read and feel a connection with and they're gonna probably feel more of a connection if we're talking about things like a nightmare in elm Street and predator than goodbye gemini and the like 30 40 other weirdo dvds i've got on my shelf and so we we looked for an intersection between what are movies that legitimately have themes of mental well-being 
and self-help and spirituality in them and also are things that the average person, regardless of whether they're a horror fan or not, are going to be familiar with. And that also the average horror fan is going to feel a connection with and not feel pandered or talked down to. Mm, That's a really nice point. And I think it also does a really good job of covering sort of like... um, the breadth of horror as it were because you have the supernatural horror you have the slashers you've got like a little bit of everything the crime you know type stuff so it really kind of hits everybody's potential interests um was there one movie or you know any movies that were particularly challenging to write about maybe not like you know finding the angle but in terms of just like sort of getting i don't know maybe it is the angle and the message and you know sort of connecting it to what chris was gonna do I can't speak for Chris, but for myself, the thing, and I even had to put a special acknowledgement at the very end of the book in my acknowledgement section. There is one in there that says, for my friend and uh, colleague Erin Chernak, uh, she is a actual psychologist. She actually went ahead and got her degree in doctorates. Uh, but if it had not been for her, I would not have finished the thing chapter. I went through so many drafts and so many iterations of writing about that movie. Uh, I have found something about myself in my nonfiction horror writing. The more that I like a movie and the more of a personal connection that I feel to a movie, the greater difficulty I have writing about it. It's, and I think it's because I'm so in it for lack of a better word that I'm not able to stand outside and have that detached objective perspective. And The Thing is one of my top favorite horror films of all time. And so to have to tackle a chapter in a book, dissecting it from a psychological perspective and from a cinematic perspective and from all these different angles, I struggled with that so much. There are some chapters in this book where I sat down, I wrote the chapter, it had a very easy edit and then boom, you more or less are reading what I sat down and wrote that day. The thing, oh my God, I went through so many drafts with that thing. And if it weren't for Aaron, I would still be trying to write that damn chapter. (laughs) Wow. Well, that is my favorite horror movie too. And I can see why it would be really difficult, even in addition to just having a really close personal connection to it. But it is also like, one of the ones I think that kind of speaks the most to the moment, like where we are right now, you know? Uh, So that is like, you're making all these connections between your own experience and like the film and its themes and like the world today, you know, so it's a a lot to tackle. (laughs) I think that may even be one of the longest sections that I wrote for the book, just because there is so very much to explore there. Uh, the the themes of paranoia and the us versus them and the uh, looking at it from the perspective of 1980s audiences and all of the uh, AIDS allegories there and the parallel between uh, the fear of the thing and the fear of homosexuality in mainstream America in the 1980s and then the ideas of problem solving and group dynamics and how the dynamic of the guys at the outpost can mirror office dynamics. It's, there's there's just so much there to explore. And it was like, how do I take this and condense it down into one chapter in a book. 
Absolutely. Yeah, because I think even, you know, even without like what are arguably the best special effects, like in the history of horror films, like if you took that out, I think it would still be absolutely terrifying just because of the interpersonal dynamics and, you know, the the atmosphere and the slow burn. So, yeah, very cool. Um, was there one that came the easiest in the other direction? Was there one that you were just like, it crystallized instantly, like this is the clearest kind of like the easiest path to this idea? <laughs> So completely contradicting what I said a moment ago, Hellraiser, which <laughs> yeah. is also one of my favorite movies. Uh, a couple of years ago, when my, my book came out, I got interviewed by a uh, newspaper who asked me, what's your favorite horror movie? And I was totally pretentious about it and such an insufferable hipster. And I told him, I don't have a favorite horror movie. I have six favorite horror movies and named off these these different movies. And one was The Thing and one was Hellraiser. And uh, despite that, Hellraiser was incredibly easy for me to write about uh, because the idea behind that chapter was Hellraiser is an exploration, uh, exploration of a lack of gratitude. And that was Chris's idea. He came up with that. And when he told me that, I just thought that is a really brilliant idea. And that's not a perspective on the film that I had ever had before. And that just really meshed with me on an intellectual and spiritual level. Uh, and I thought to myself that that's a really great idea because if you, you sit back and look at Hellraiser, everything that goes wrong in the movie is really because people aren't grateful for what they have. And uh, I, I've been through a couple of periods in my own life where I've, I've been on hard times uh, right after I graduated high school. Uh, the financial advisor that my dad's company set him up with after he retired, mishandled all of our family's finances. And so instead of going to college after I got out of high school, I helped my parents sell and move out of their house so that they weren't homeless and helped get them settled in a new place and uh, ended up having to delay my own personal life trajectory. And that gave me, I feel, a perspective on being grateful for for very little things and being grateful for what's at your disposal at the moment and for the idea that's, well, maybe you're not living under the circumstances you were a couple of years ago, but you're not on the streets and you're still here. And so that really meshed with me with Hellraiser. And I think that other than I have a tendency, if I just sit down and write without thinking about it, to be very repetitive with my word choice. I, so I think that other than finding different adjectives and finding different words to replace my repetition, the Hellraiser chapter is the one that underwent the least amount of editing. No. Well, something that I loved that I noticed is that, you know, usually when you get to um, the, oh, the humanity part, the sort of the, the Chris's exploration of the mental health ideas, um, usually that is done through a particular character's arc. And sometimes that character is the protagonist, the hero, the person that you're rooting for. And sometimes it is the villain, the monster, the person that you are, the person or the thing that you are running from. So can you talk about what guided that choice? Because I actually loved it. And I just I love monsters as much as I love the people who fight them. So can you talk a little bit about that? I think it really came down to who's the most psychologically complex character in a given movie and who's the most conducive to exploring these ideas. Uh, so like with the Nightmare and Elm Street movies, we really don't focus on Freddy Krueger that much. We really focus on the characters who are fighting Freddy Krueger because so many of them go on these very intimate personal journeys, especially I think we give a lot of attention to numbers three and four. 
And uh, the thing that really appealed to Chris and I about number four was that it's really a picture of a person going on a journey of self-actualization. And uh, I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with names. Uh, and I'm going to lose so much horror credit for this. I really want to say her name is Alice, that it's the protagonist of uh, number four and five, uh, Dream Master and Dream Child. And at the beginning of number four, Alice is this very milk toast character, very retiring, very uh, passive, very given to giving into the whims of her friends and peers. And over the course of the film, we see her slowly beginning to gain confidence and slowly beginning to gain this sense of having an actual self. And uh, one of the things that Chris and I talk about in that chapter is there's this very powerful visual metaphor in the movie that at the beginning of the film, she's got this section of a wall in her bedroom that is all photos of her friends and as each of her friends die throughout the course of the film she begins taking their pictures down off this wall and you start to realize that she's got these pictures taped over the vanity in her bedroom and she has literally blocked out her own view of herself in favor of these pictures of her friends so that by the time we reach the end of the movie by the time she's ready for her final confrontation with freddy krueger she has taken down all of these pictures and for the first time in the movie and you get the idea for the first time in her life she's actually looking at and thinking about herself and so for nightmare on elm street it was Alice and it was the people up against Freddy Krueger. And then you get into characters like Michael Myers and Leatherface. Uh, with Halloween, I suppose we could have focused on Laurie Strode and we could have done this thing about rising to an occasion and facing challenges through the uh, perspective of Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character. But Chris and I were both really taken with the idea of focusing on Michael Myers and how he taps into all of these very Jungian ideas. Uh, another reason I probably would not have been a good clinical psychologist or criminal psychologist is that out of all of the people that I studied in school that really appealed to me, uh, Carl Jung really jumped out to me and ideas of the collective unconsciousness and these much more spiritualist and existential ideas versus like cold medical, like this person is the way they are because of an issue with their limbic system or because there's a serotonin imbalance. And so the idea of looking at Jungian ideas through Michael Myers was really appealing. And then also I cheated. I used Jung twice and I also used him on Leatherface and looking at Jung's idea of the mask and the persona through the perspective of Leatherface really appealed. Uh, and so I'd like to say that it was this very measured, very thoughtful process that Chris and I went through, but it really boiled down to what are the cool ideas that we want to explore and who's the character that's the most conducive to that. Hmm. You know, I do like it. And I think like it speaks a little bit to one of the book's points, you know, is that like so much of horror, like an idea kind of threaded through this is like about and so much of mental health is about vulnerability, right? It's about the vulnerability of the person on the screen and the person writing it and the person viewing it or reading it or what have you. And it's about like confronting that which is like compartmentalized. And that image of Alice is just like so perfect for that of just like finally looking at that thing that you don't want to look at, you know? And that's why I think the young is so appropriate. I feel like it's just, it's very like primal in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is something very primal, I feel, about our love of horror movies. Uh, Carol J. Clover, uh, she wrote this book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, 
And uh, one of the major theses of the book is that even though we remember the monsters and the monsters are these cool, iconic characters, we're ultimately rooting for the final girl. Uh, Carol J. Clover, I believe, actually coined the term final girl. And uh, she talked about how the idea that even though we're watching these movies to see the monster, ultimately we want to see a character come out in the end. We want to see them overcome these obstacles. We want to see them beat the bad guy. We want to see Freddy lose. We want to see Jason lose. We want to see this vulnerable human character come out on top of all of these problems. And that horror movies as this dramatization of personal struggle and triumph over personal struggle is part of their primal appeal. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I think they give us a sort of like a safe way that doesn't really feel all that safe <laughs> to explore these things. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really lovely. And I'm really excited for our patrons to read this. Um, and I know that sometimes it's hard for authors to talk about this because they can't. But are you able to say anything about like, what's on your horizon right now? What are you working on? What are you doing? Or what's up for you? <laughs> Uh, so I am putting the finishing touches on uh, what other people have called a doorstop novel. Uh, it's going to be the longest thing I've ever written. It's going to be the most involved thing I've ever worked on. Uh, it is going to be a panopticon of the 1970s and 80s underground film scene. And that is all I can say right now. Uh, I'm hoping to finish it in the very near future. And I I'm really excited about it. Wow. Well, that sounds amazing so it sounds like it's a long trek for you but if you ever want to come back to the show and talk about that that sounds lovely we're always happy to have you to yeah this has been a really lovely conversation thank you oh that would be delightful thank you very much and thank you for having me on you're so welcome. Okay, listeners, please check out A Necessary Death, what horror movies teach us about navigating the human experience. By the time that you hear this, it will be out. It is out on the spookiest day of the year. Uh, you know what day that is. So please pick it up. Thank you so much for joining us. It is now time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode. Thank you.